Tom is here at my apartment in Brooklyn because I think he's doing sort of insider stuff and taking source meetings and he needed the real mic setup. So uh, my girlfriend, who's a video producer, has him with all her camera mics set up, but he's in the same room as me and I feel like he's he's dealing with a sort of dystopian uh, sound overlay. So we're going to see uh, how that comes out. And then we're here with uh, Daniel Liss, who is the CEO of Dispo, but we are equally excited that he's uh, been deep in NFT world in this last week for NYC NFT. And so we want to talk about that sort of building on uh, the metaverse conversation from last week. And yeah, I'm excited for Daniel to play a little bit of tour guide in NFT world. Um, Daniel, like what, how deep, how deep into the world of NFTs are you right? Would you consider yourself a believer or where, give us the sort of uh, where, where you stand right now. I'm a, I'm, you know, as, as the people at NFT NYC would say, I've taken the red pill. I'm absolutely <laughs> a believer, but I think the caveat and we'll walk through it, I'm sure, but you have to believe as an operator and someone leading a company that this is what you're in. And I'm building a social media company with my team. We have to believe that, this is what our community wants. If our community doesn't want it, right, and we're trying to skate to where the puck is going and build a once-in-a-generation company, then we shouldn't be using this technology. Uh, there's a lot about it that's promising. There's a lot about it that's really frightening. So I think we'll get into that. Tom, you good? T- tell me about the most red-pilled person you met at the convention so far. Like, you're, you're somewhere in the middle. You're buying it, but you still need to be convinced. Like, how, who, who's, who's the most fucked-up person you met in this, in this conference? <laughs> I wouldn't put it that way, but the person who, the biggest believer, so I was at, uh, the the fun part of this week is it was just dinners, parties, activities, coffees. It was an incredible social week. And, you know, for me who, uh, you know, we started this company a year and a half ago, we have not been doing these social networking events, no pun intended. Um, And so it was just a rush of human interaction and activity, you know, with vaccination cards and masks and uh, safety protocols. But I was at one of these dinners and an investor threw out a question to all the founders and CEOs in attendance. And the question was, your portfolio, your personal investment portfolio right now, what is the allocation? And, and I said, okay, um, I think it would be, you know, I'm 33, I'm risk on, a lot of my net worth is tied up in the equity of our company, but uh, for of my liquid assets, I would put 75% in the Vanguard S&P, uh, 500 ETF, I would do 10% in bonds. Uh, maybe if I'm being aggressive, you know, of the remaining 15%, seven and a half in cash, seven and a half across Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Solana, right? And the guy sitting next to me goes, 100% Ethereum. <laughs> Just deadpan, deadpan, and with, and with a look in his eyes, like I did not know what I was talking about, that I was an alien of some sort, right? And maybe I am, um, and, and I understand looking at that man's net worth that it has quintupled, you know, gone up 50x. I don't know when he bought, right? If he bought in 27, uh, at the bottom of the last cycle, you know, if you know, I was I had a meeting with Binance's, uh, you know, one of the most senior people there, and 12% of their volume last week was in Shiba Inu, right? So the, the world in which we're living, the volatility of the assets, I'm um, even in a world where in the public markets, Peloton can go down two thirds in less than a year, right? Um, but in you know, the Bitcoin world, um, or just the cryptocurrency world, the volatility of the world in which we're living is shocking, uh, amazing, incomprehensible to the average average Joe, but it's still exciting. And, and I think, you know, we haven't gotten into it, but there is real utility to the technology that was not necessarily there in 2017. So if you're serious about building a company, particularly in the gaming and social worlds, you have to be looking at this incredibly intensely. But so, and we'll get to sort of the use cases and, and with Dispo and what you're thinking about and all, but just like the people part of this story first, like, so how did you even, I feel like the the NFT NYC conference sort of came onto my Twitter feed all of a sudden, or like, I was clearly not ready. Like, when did you, are you, where are you based? When did you realize this was coming? And like, why did you decide to go? And then, yeah, you said it's like 
Is it mostly like going to panels or is it mostly going to dinners around it? Or like, what is the conference as sort of a startup CEO going to this thing? Great question. So I, first of all, just interest in cryptocurrency, I would call myself a Web2 Luddite. <laughs> I assume that's most of our listeners can too. We, can so we actually that, run through this uh, for those of you, me, who, who are not quite sure about the specifics of Web2 and Web3? What is Web2 versus uh, Web3? Because I'm assuming Web1 is eBay. Right. Well, Web2 is the cloud, uh, right. is how I would define it, right? Okay. You're, you're in a uh, previously... a. I mean, in, I'll talk about it in terms of our business, right? 04 to 06, when the MySpace, Friendsters, Facebook wars were on, Mark Zuckerberg's dad famously put $100,000 of server costs on his personal credit card, right? Because you can now we talk about the network dynamics and Zuckerberg's genius and the newsfeed and F8 and all the amazing technological developments. He really is the greatest operator in software of our time. But at that time, you know, Friendster, don't forget, had every advantage and a lot of the closed network um, just magic that uh, propelled Facebook ahead of the dangers of the stranger danger of MySpace. But Friendster couldn't keep their back end up. And so technical excellence in a pre-cloud world uh, was a huge part of the game. And now, of course, with AWS Azure and Google Cloud, um, I'm able to have a much smaller backend team and worry about it a lot less. Of course, our team is best in class. I'm really proud of them. But uh, we worry about that a lot less in the Web2 world than the prior generation did. Um, and you know, now, of course, Web3 is about the blockchain. So it's about smart contracts and the uniqueness and provenance of NFTs and ledgers and I mean, it's, know, it's like a distributed internet powered by the economics of cryptocurrencies that let us move right. away from sort of centralized gatekeepers. So even the cloud itself is too centralized in the Web3 definition. That right. it has to be distributed of course across. it's too centralized. The database, right. yeah, absolutely. The right. decentralization, I think, is the core premise, uh, the core magic of anyway, the, you know, the okay, coming revolution. So that's Web2, Web3. You're okay. Web2 going into this sort of Web3 world, figuring out what you think. And then... The, the conference itself, how it came on your radar and sort of talk, talk me through that. Sure. So Ryan Hoover, you know, the founder of Product Hunt and Weekend yeah. Fund is an I've investor of ours. Yeah. Um, you know, I put in a very little money to be an LP in Weekend Fund. Um, he's also an investor in Dispo. And he sends out the best LP letter I've ever read, better than Howard Marks. Just he and huh. Vatica, what, the, what they do is incredibly ornate. Um, really thoughtful. And so I read it religiously. And the last one he sent, I think it was either last quarter or the quarter prior, there was this company called Eternal.gg, which is an NFT marketplace for Twitch streamers. Yeah. Uh, for Twitch <laughs> My eyes are like... Uh, <laughs> no, you're over. laughing. Yeah, but, right. but if you think about it, right, if you actually do the work, you realize that the gaming market is bigger than the NBA market. So if the volume that Dapper Labs did with Top Shot is, you know, billions, why wouldn't uh, gaming highlights and gaming moments and collectibles be a multi-billion dollar market? And then you start to think, wow, these guys are really onto something. And so I asked Ryan to introduce me to the co-founders of Eternal, uh, who just raised again, incredibly, incredibly sharp, uh, guys who, you know, Jeff and Derek are the name of the co-founders who have been in the crypto world forever, so five plus years. Um, uh -huh. And they, you know, Jeff has a tokenized community called Jeff's Buddies. I, I hope I'm not uh, saying anything I'm not allowed to. I'm not <laughs> doxing the Jeff's Buddies communities, but shout out to them. And he included me, but, you know, you had to, he had to send you it's the tokens. It's a Discord then, community or what's the community? It's a Discord community. Okay, yeah. he, he, sent, he sent you the tokens. You had to use Collabland to prove that you had the tokens. Then you're included in the Discord server. And then so you're in this random Discord community for, for people speculating on... Crypto no, or? nothing to do with speculation. It's just an enthusiast community for people. And, and the people in this chat, I'm not going to tell you who are in it, but are real crypto investors, builders, incredible uh, group, relatively small group of people. And I was I felt the least intelligent on the subject matter, but also they were interested in my experience. Right. And uh, our experience at Dispo, we have more downloads and a bigger community than most of the people 
you know, involved. So it was an Turns interesting. Out people still like Web two. <laughs> people want to make money off Web three. But yeah, we, sorry, keep going. Sure. So uh, you know they're interested in scale. We, we've you know we're facing a lot of the same problems and uh, are interested in a lot of the same subjects fundamentally, right? How do you grow something uh, that really changes the world and has an impact and you know has scale? So. Um, I was a part of this, and then there was a channel in it that said, uh, well, first, the first one was Mainnet, so then I went to Mainnet, and then the next channel was NFT NYC, and when I went to Mainnet, all people could talk about at Mainnet was, bro, what's going on? And it's a lot of bros, not nearly enough women, which was shocking to me, because I'll get there. My team is majority women, our team is majority women at Dispo, and our community is majority women. You know, if you're building a social product in any generation, teen girls run the world, so the most interesting part and also the scariest part for the Dispo team is when we're, our audience is primarily teen girls, college kids, and the primary crypto audience is the 20,000 OpenSea whale bros, there is a huge disconnect and gap between what our community is interested in right. and when we say the world, say the word MetaMask or wallet or seed phrase or APIN or WAGME or you know all the lingo that's now begun to dominate our Twitter feeds our community don't care and haven't noticed. And so thinking about what the future is and what they will tolerate, I think the gaming world is going to break down a lot of barriers and not Axie Infinity, but when the real AAA publishers, when you know this past quarter, the CEOs of EA and Take-Two right. both had questions about NFTs. Like the gaming world is going to break down the barriers. But basically you're in this like sort of like all male community. Obviously you're representing sort of a super female community. Predominantly male, but a couple. Yeah. Yeah. A couple. Right. Women, yeah. And, and the, but the hope is that still the technology is like relevant to your company. Correct. So now you're in the NFT NYC discord group and that's where they're chattering about it. Well, there was a channel in Jeff's buddies about it. And then, um, it, you know, there were spreadsheets of all the events that were happening and then, that was, you know, months ago. And then I started meeting That reminds investors. me of South by Southwest when people would like sort of try and get the good events with, and you send around it, it, spreadsheets. Exactly, with that the, kind right. of, or Sundance or any of these conf, industry con, right. conferences you've been to where there's just, everybody's there, right? And that became obvious to me. And then I started meeting as we really did a deep dive and did some NFT testing a couple of months ago on Dispo. And we started getting a lot of inbound calls from investors and you know potential employees interested in building that out. Then the first question within the first five minutes is, oh, what's your schedule at NFT NYC? We got to get together. You know, oh, are you going to the Board Apes party or what's going on with FWB? Or, oh, this, you know, CAA is throwing something with their new. And I thought, wow, this is not all, you know, th- there's a lot of really interesting cross-current, you know, we're an LA-based company. I've been in LA for five years. There's a lot of interesting cross-current between Do you see the chain smokers? I heard they were out out there. Well, they're unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) They will be the next great, they're investors in Dispo. They will be the next great. Yeah, uh, I was waiting for that. I say this anytime and I say this to the audience. If you are not co-investing with the chain smokers and Mantis, there's something wrong with your portfolio. (laughs) The, the, The amount of work that they do, they're incredibly, incredibly bright, switched on, Guys, who's there? Like, who's the who's the man behind the the team? Or no, like? There is no man behind them. They're on all the calls. Huh. Drew and Alex are sending out the emails. I'm so impressed by them. They're you. You should have them on. I think they're incredibly thoughtful. And I mean, when you see their name in the deal announcements now, it means something, right? They're not just investing in random companies. They're investing in a lot of category, potential category yeah. members. Chainsmokers also have 100% exposure to Ethereum. So <laughs> that's also very concerning for the future. <laughs> don't, don't, the don't Let Me Down sequel is not going to be uh, a promised should the crypto market tank, but otherwise enjoy. <laughs> well, I'm going to the Solana conference in Lisbon this week. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. I introduced them to Amy Wu, who just announced her fund with FTX and Solana. So I assume the chain smokers will, will soon have plenty of Solana exposure. That's actually super smart just for gigs, right? I mean, if you just appear as the house band at every crypto conference <laughs> over the next couple of weeks, like you're solid booked. <laughs> Do they play? Yeah, did they play or they got it? I'm, I'm sure they did, but you know, little baby performed at Board Apes after buying one, or maybe they gave it to him. It's it's hard huh. to say. There's not a lot of transparency. Wait, baby? No, little baby, not little to baby. baby. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Okay, I was about to say we Come we on. had a much bigger story on our hands here. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Wait, you so you, you did go? They were jumping now. I mean, but the you went to the Board Apes thing. How? Uh, yeah, what was this? I didn't. There? I didn't make it to. Oh, that. I didn't make okay, it to. That, okay. But uh, I have a lot of friends who did and. 
It's interesting, right? You start to realize uh, as a social media company, and now we're kind of heading into people call this social three as well. Social media is a cultural artifact in many ways, right? You've seen the cycles now. First, it was Facebook, Friendster, MySpace. Then it was Instagram, Hipstamatic, PicPlease. Then it was Snapchat. And then TikTok, Triller, um, you know, whatever else. And here we are with Dispo and a bunch of other companies emerging that are trying to reinvent the photo sharing, you know, memory making category and really get to the point where we can embrace some of these new values that, you know, have come out in the discords and clubhouses of the world so that are about community, about intimacy, about authenticity and figure out how to bring that into the future. And I think how do you do that uh, and do that on a scale that takes on the titans of social media The you know, one of those answers, one of the hypotheses has to be that it's built on the blockchain and taking advantage of uh, whether it's Ethereum or, or Solana, what we choose to build on. Um, but secondly, I think what Axie's done with the progressive decentralization model, so you know, functionally inverting your cap table and having the community participate in a real substantial, you know, almost a B Corp on steroids manner, that is interesting. No one's done that before. And uh, in many ways, it would be as if Kickstarter gave equity in their company to the community that chose and equity in the products to the people who chose to build them. But obviously, like Kickstarter, many of those products never materialize in the form that people expect them to. Well, that's the danger, right? You have to figure out as an operator and what we're trying to determine at Dispo with all of our testing is how do you layer in the blockchain to your product in a way that is not fundamentally changing the nature of the game, you know, the gameplay, right? So in social media, uh, what we're building will be closest to Reddit in that you, uh, your contributions to the community are valued and uh, denoted in some way that, you know, we haven't settled on quite yet. And uh, whether you're contributing to roles or otherwise, you know, which are the, the group albums on our, uh, on our network or, or other contributions to the community, People value your contribution. And, you know, this is a long history in the Internet from Wikipedia moderators to Foursquare mayors to whatever else you can I, I dream wanna, of. I want to keep hearing about the conference, but I, I, let's talk yeah. about Dispo because obviously okay. that's what you do and we're getting – we're touching on it. So, like, I guess in my very layman sense, my understanding of Dispo – and you can disillusion us. But, like, super hot with, you know, obviously David Dobrik co-founding and the sort of disappearing messaging thing. He gets like well, canceled. It was delayed non-AM development right. was always the core concern. Delay, sorry? So you, you take a photo and you can't oh, access delayed. it until 9 a.m. It's right. the opposite right. of disappearing. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, good. Very See, web too. <laughs> so then he's gone. That, that's Insider cancels him, right? Yeah. And then you guys, like your investors have different stakes, but like we're, we're, Spark sort of like says, oh, we're like giving him back or something, but then whatever. So there's that whole thing. But then you've been able to like I've I've watched the growth stuff obviously and covered it a little bit and like in some of these other countries particularly you've sort of held on to growth and are trying to sort of despite sort of like a media sort of like losing your sort of like favored status in the media keep growing is that the journey <laughs> is that a a reasonably fair version of the journey and now you're like trying to figure out sort of how to capture the growth you've built and like so part of it is exploring Web3 and like other, or where, is that, how, is that a fair journey or where would you say you're at now in that, in that path? Absolutely. I think, you know, I wouldn't exactly put it that way, you know, but <laughs> we're 13 <laughs> months into this code base. The team went from six in March to now 22 on four continents. I, I think it's incredibly exciting. If you were to ask me, or anyone we're working with, any of the co-founders, uh, that this is where the company would be. And obviously, there were some uh, incredible ups and some incredible downs along the, the way. Uh, we have a company we're really proud of. We have a product that is resonating with you know millions of teens and college kids around the globe. And I think, yes, we where we're at now is we need to figure out, um, as any social media company would at this stage, how do you really... You know, you can get downloads, you can pay for downloads, you can partner with an influencer or celebrity for downloads. You know, acquisition is only one part of the game. And in social media, you know, when investors meet with us and whether it's Tiger or SoftBank or DST or 
you know, whoever would hypothetically call, they will never ask about our download numbers. They're going to ask about retention, right? Because right. if I were to pay, is it working? You know, and is it working, right? And particularly D30. So on the discrete day, 30 days later, or, you know, camera apps are often weekly. So week four, you know, how are you building? What, what are the features you're developing to capture more of the user's time in a way, you know, especially for us, the, you know, a very mission-driven, almost political company and what we're trying to accomplish, how are you doing in a way that's different from the companies of the past? And how are you going to set yourself What do you mean almost uh, political? I think, uh, you know, the, the choice of non-AM development or delayed development in any sense is a choice to untether, you, you know, the community from their phones. And when we ask uh, the girls in particular, why do they like this is, is I feel so much pressure uh, using, you know, taking photos, sharing photos online. And this isn't just an Instagram problem. This is, uh, you know, and everyone's seen what came out in the hearings. This is um, really a, a problem that the, you know, the phone has created, right? And, and what do these social media platforms make them feel? They feel alone. They feel not good enough. They f- feel issues about their body. They feel uh, like they have the wrong lifestyle. They don't have the right clothes. It's this incredibly sad and, and negative impact. And so for us, uh, and I spent my 20s primarily in politics, how do you genuinely create a social media network that, you know, delivers joy and connection? Um, even if that was the intent of these original platforms 15 years ago, that's the, the question. And so for us, non-AM development means when you take the photos, you can't access them immediately. And that's powerful, right? Because you don't, you know, next time you go out into the wild and you watch someone, no matter what age or gender they are, they, they take a photograph or a video, they immediately are clutching and you can see the veins in their neck pop out as they look at it and they say, oh, my arm is fat or whatever it is, right? It's an incredibly stressful experience. And so the magic of, you know, what we call the digital disposable camera is you can wait a little bit and when you get the photos back the next morning, something we, we hear quite often in user, user interviews is that it feels like Christmas morning again, right? It feels like going to the one hour photo with my mom or my dad and I get back my roll of 24 or 36 and uh, you know, almost 20% of our users are sharing photos the next day or no, almost 20% of the photos are being shared the next day. So um, that core loop of taking and sharing is defensible and magical and inherently viral. And I think that's what's so exciting thus far. Wait, about hold what hold we've on a second, though. Before, before you jump in, Eric, I mean, maybe you're going to ask the same question, but explain to me the crossover between the instantness of photos and social media and the delayed reaction of it, of the 9 a.m. development that you think uh, ameliorates the problem of self-image and negativity that, you know, something happens between the photo being taken and 9 a.m. the next day that allows people to feel better about themselves. I don't get that. I think it's a, first of all, you know, on the scale of purity, you know, I'm I'm not going to stand here and say, uh, we have the solution, right? That's a very dangerous proposition. It's incredibly hard to fix uh, the way that people look at themselves in the mirror, right? Right, That's that's pre-existed and predated Instagram and all of this, so sure. Even before mirrors, let's go back to the Garden of Eden, I'm sure uh, we, you know, we all look at ourselves and we wish something were different, whatever the societal standards were at the time, right? And that's something that's baggage that all of us have from birth. And it's not a function just of cell phones, right? You know, go back to the Renaissance or the Roaring Twenties or, you know, pick your historical epoch. There were trends, there were bodies that were, you know, certain body images that were more popular. Uh, we're not, we're never going to fix the Francis Hogan of the, of the Medici era was uh, a very different person, but we all know that (laughs) self portraits were extremely defeating to the artist. (laughs) Oh, the Ruben. Yeah, we all, yeah, they're, they're, they're different. Yeah. I buy, I buy this story. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Sure. But I, I think what we're aiming to do is create something that it's not perfect, but it's fundamentally better. Right. And so the act of, you know, getting back specifically to the question, the act of taking the photo right now on your iPhone when you can see so much and you're obsessing over it and you're immediately clenching and you you feel this intensity and in turn because of some feelings that maybe you're bringing negativity about what you see that ruins the moment um, and so creating that distance for you from that or even you know will test a gentle reminder to you to wait a little bit and allow yourself to enjoy it the next day 
we found you know, users tell us that they enjoy that a lot more than the way they've been taking photographs in the past. And if you can compare it, everyone on this Zoom, I think is uh, old enough to remember the way that we would get photos back when we were kids. It was a very different feeling from the feeling that we have now when we see them on our phone. And our, our hypothesis is one part of that is the, just the time, the distance you have between taking it and experiencing it and, and that reveal. And then Web3, right? I get, I, it feels like on the one hand, you know, if you're a new up and coming consumer company, it makes sense to like get on and see what sort of the new trends are happening. Maybe you'll get adoption some way doing that. On the other hand, there's an argument, you know, that focus is good. You guys have sort of a cool idea with the disposable camera thing. Like why, why do something else like complicated or innovative with like web three, or, I mean, it seems like you're going through that journey now, or what, what sort of, what got you to say, oh, we should think about crypto. Is it the money side, the enthusiasm, or like, if you had to distill, like what appealed to you about it? And then like, yeah, where are you in sort of in that journey? I think first and foremost is just a healthy sense of the history of technology, knowing that at some point the switch was made from the mainframe to the cloud and the people, the incumbents, you know, it's hard to think of a company that is, uh, you know, almost 18 months old as an incumbent, but someone coming from the prior mindset was slow and, you know, wasn't necessarily building, you know, I met Devin from OpenSea, they were building from 2018. That's a lot longer than we've been building. So in tech, a big part of the job is reacting and reacting because you're smaller with a speed and a precision that a major incumbent, so the metas, the uh, Snapchats, the Pinterest, right, the you know, 50, 100 billion plus market cap companies will never be able to, A, because of the size of the company and you know, the speed at which the ship turns, but then also the regulatory concerns that they have. And I think that was an, a really interesting part of all of this is FTX moving to the Bahamas, the Dow laws in Wyoming, uh, what is actually what is actually going to I love to, what you have and, to you do know, as a startup founder these days like <laughs> uh, track all these like it's like what uh. what the most ambitious part about Andreessen Horowitz this is an aside but related the most in- interesting part of Andreessen Horowitz to me right now is not uh, how they've doubled the size of the investing staff and that they're probably going public it is that they're single-handedly becoming a regulatory, uh, they don't call it lobbying, so whatever whatever it is, a regulatory shaping colossus. Right. And you know that front page article in the New York Times last week is really breathtaking when you think about it, right? It's as if we were, you know, if you think about the analogy of the cloud again, right? It's Amazon, uh, Microsoft, and Google are now the three big players. But imagine a world where those are the only three players, so Bitcoin, Solana, and Ethereum, and the same person owned a huge chunk of all of them and was investing in all three of the platforms themselves and in all the companies building on them and had such a head start in funding and access that they then went to Washington and shaped the rules of the game. Right. And the other major lobbyist is this company called Coinbase, which they happen to be a major shareholder in. Right. And, you know, and, and one of the partners, and I'm sure she didn't mean anything by it, but happens to be on the board of both Coinbase and OpenSea, which are now going, you know, right. I think Coinbase will destroy OpenSea or, or has a really good shot of uh, displacing it in the popular imagination, right? The Just the breadth of Coinbase is wild compared to OpenSea, even if OpenSea continues on this crazy growth path. So to answer the original question, which is why are we looking at this so hard? I think it's a belief, you know, it's to your first question, do I believe and do we in the company believe that the blockchain is real and it is the future? And yes, unequivocally, I think that it is really interesting. You know, you can talk about the promise of the chains themselves, but when you think about the DAO model uh, and what Axie Infinity has done as an example, right, which is you are giving your users a percentage of the profits of the company by virtue of their participation. So uh, in the same way, you know, Abraham Lincoln with the Homestead Act gave in the 1860s people, I think it was up to 140 acres of land if they went out and they developed it and they paid a registration fee, right? If you as a company, uh, and this is why Reddit seems to be going so hard at their collaboration with Arbitrum, and I I met up with Stephen and their team this week, 
uh, to learn about what exactly they're planning. But it is really interesting. Steve that, Hoffman or, or you're saying? Uh, no, uh, Steven, who runs Arbitrum. Oh, okay. Who's a brilliant guy. He came out of, they actually launched this company before Ethereum launched out of a, PH, a group of PhDs at Princeton. Hmm. Brilliant, brilliant. But with team. you guys, and, the idea is that for all the pictures or some subset, the people could easily turn them into NFTs or? So the, I don't want to specifically get into that right now. I'm but not trying to get ahead of that, whatever you're announcing, but what's the intuition sure. so here? That's one hypothesis, right? But if you can also, if you open the app and you look at what we're doing, we have cameras. Um, and you have to open Dispo to understand it, but they're they're almost digital objects in the way that a skin on Fortnite is. Um, or certain objects on Roblox. And so we just did our first big collaboration with YSL, the fashion house, a couple weeks ago. And the user response to that was remarkable. Mm. It shocked everyone internally. And so that opened our eyes. Well, what if the cameras, you know, the images is one way to look at it, but what if the cameras themselves were NFTs? Right. Are there, there are filter NFTs today or other... I've heard of this idea, right? Or this exists? It's or? an idea, right? But I think what's interesting to the community, you know, the ETH community, Solana community is our scale already. And also the fact that we, you know, if you compare it to the play to earn gaming world, we have a game uh, of our social network, which is you contribute posts uh, and you contribute to roles, images to roles and you know, video will launch sometime soon. Um, and you are rewarded you know, whether through likes and upvotes and, you know, whatever our equivalent of karma is, uh, the Reddit karma, but also emotionally rewarded, right? Uh, so much of what we project on social media is a bid for affirmation or connection or attention or flirting or whatever it is that you're looking for in the world. And so layering in NFTs to that, right, where people can trade them, um, you know, so there, and we, you create a marketplace. There's also resale value to the person who generated the asset. Um, a lot of the behavior, when you look at what bored apes or crypto punks are fundamentally enabling, right? It's peacocking uh, by putting the ape or the crypto punk as your Twitter profile, and then it's access to a community. And so for us to do that on a social media network would not be a huge leap. And then the second part of the equation, which is actually a very separate discussion, is do you issue a token as the company? And I think that's the one that's very out there for two reasons. One is the regulatory issues. And secondly, uh, what is the app store going to do? And, you know, I think that it's because for now they're, they're really not allowing, uh, from what I understand, at least any company that issues a token to do that in app. And uh, the biggest challenge, you know, and I keep asking this in every single meeting and uh, every single person I meet is the UX, the user experience of the Web3 native people is not even close to what we do in the Web2 world. It sucks. Right? It sucks. It, it's, it's not even close. And, and so every time uh, we say the word, word wallet or seed phrase, and I said this earlier, but any of the lingo, right? And I'm only getting to one or two of the words, but in order to now open a wallet on MetaMask, uh, or Rango, I don't even know I the names of all the companies you have to do. Yeah, <laughs> the process, yeah. the companies, like it requires charts to lay it all out. To a it requires charts to lay it all out. But, you know, the counterpoint to all of that, and I think the really exciting part is you look at Axie and you have to open the, the Ronin wallet and then you have to transfer the funds and then you have to wait sometimes and, and then you still have to buy it. the Axies and they're still doing it. And they're still doing it. And so... Maybe you um, maybe you would say, well, the issue here is this is a job and it's not a game. But there are all these stories back from 06, right, 07, when Facebook was rolling out internationally. And traditionally in mobile, you know, in our team, well, it was mostly desktop then. But traditionally in the Internet, people are not willing to wait for things to load, right? Uh, you know, latency, right. our backend team, we're constantly reviewing how quickly are people getting it to load because they will abandon, people have incredibly short time, uh, you know, attention spans. But with Facebook in the beginning, it was such a magical product and people felt that it was the internet, right? They, they were unable to understand that there was a difference between the internet and Facebook, that they were willing to load, wait 30 seconds, 90 seconds per page load to use it. And so if Axie really is, uh, you know, and, and most of the times the first market mover when it comes to the internet is not the winner, right? Google is not the first search engine started, Facebook not the first social network. So I think that's what's so exciting to everyone in the gaming world. And now, you know, I've met 
in LA, everyone at every, you meet every product manager or game developer, game designer at Zynga, Supercell, uh, Riot, you know, and, 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 they're all thinking about this. This is obsessing them, right? Because they've existed in a world where people were willing to buy, spend real money on virtual goods, which uh, adults and the media still don't really, even though Listen, the gaming I, industry. I, I own skins. I have a. Right. You own skins. Exactly. But, Fortnite, but people I paid are still, money. I think I paid money in a Overwatch. People are, yeah. are, people are still very skeptical of the digital goods economy, even with fiat. Right. Even if we don't talk about blockchain. Right. And so why couldn't you, Eric, trade your skin and have it then live not just in Fortnite, but also right. in Roblox? And the I mean, there are lots create, of arguments. Why would a centralized company want to? I mean, we could. That is sure. it's well, a so, fun debate. So, but so, yeah. Right. But the big centralized companies, the incumbents are not going to necessarily want that. Right. But all the challengers will. Right. It'll help us scale much faster. So the fluidity uh, it's the same way that in social media, social graphs, right? It would behoove all of the challenger companies to create a, an interoperable social graph. But of course, the legacy companies uh, will never allow it. So what I think is interesting about your company approaching crypto and, and NFTs uh, specifically is that to me, it could represent this jump from gaming towards mainstream usage, right? Because at the gaming level, I understand it. People are very accustomed to virtual goods. The trading of that, there is a mar- there is a market, there is a currency, there is a value for non-tangible objects. But what you guys have existed on and what your success has come on so far has been through s- straight up social media, right? It's people taking photos, things in the real world and gaining social currency uh, through the success and whatever attention those photos get. Where do you see on like your user's interest the involvement of this kind of Web3 approach to social currency towards, I guess, financialization when it comes to like potentially I- issuing a token? I don't think our users understand this, but I don't think had Mark Zuckerberg, when they announced the news feed and you know, his product manager was famously threatened by the community, but the numbers on the back end uh, told them it was working – you know, there's a part of, and of course, Steve Jobs was uh, the king of this. There's a part of creating consumer products, which is data driven and talking to users, of course, right? Ultimately, we are serving them, but there's a, also a part of it that's intuition and trying to create something that's different and enabling and enabled by the technologies that you see. So the, the whole Henry Ford thing, they would have said, oh, I want faster horses or more horses or whatever. Right, 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 right. right. I think that's that has to be an obsession of yours. If you're, this is the hardest category in the world, I think, to bu- to build in. Right? Is how do you uh, create something that's taking advantage? So much has been built already. Right? I mean, you talk to investors who've been investing in social for the last fifteen to twenty years, and there was a consensus maybe five years ago that social was over. Right? And even Snapchat um, had to overcome that in you know their road to the market. And of course, when Instagram. Um, copied stories, a lot of people thought, and the Snap share price reflected it, a lot of people thought Snap was dead. And, and the essential thesis, the bear case at that moment was social has been built already. No one's ever going to touch it again. And the emergence of TikTok, which I think will be bigger than any of these companies, has really corrected the market. It is extremely addictive. It is. It's amazing. It's amazing. And then, you know, Discord is surging. Jason and that team are amazing, are going to build a behemoth company and hopefully with not an ad-driven model. Um, It's really exciting to see what they're doing with subscriptions. And I think now there's this energy out there that social is about to change. And, you know, my belief is that why is it changing? It's really because social media is a cultural artifact enabled by technology, right? Fashion goes through cycles. Why were skinny jeans in, in last week and now mom jeans are in this week? Music goes through cycle, right? I was managing an R&B group for a while and uh, the, the whole premise was it's the boys to men of this time, which was inspired by the new edition of that time. And then the four tops and the Jackson five and the temptations of that time, right? And so when you look at social media, um, you really, if you're building it, you really have to believe that it comes in cycles. And so you have to think about what are the product values. And for us, that's the authenticity, the community, the intimacy that Gen Z seems to really care about. But also what are the unique technological 
changes of this time, right? No one talks about it, but Facebook surviving the shift from desktop to mobile was triumphant. Right. Media never thought it was going to happen. Media never, never thought it was going to happen. It's a testament, again, to why Zuckerberg is just the best. Um, but also, that is why they <laughs> had to acquire it. He, he said that earlier, and I, I was surprised yeah. you didn't react. I was like... I'm glad, no, I'm glad we have it twice on the podcast. As far as I'm concerned, that's two sources. Confirmed. You can go to Washington. It's a different podcast to talk about his ethical choices sure. or his you just political made the episode. choices. It's great. And I've written extensively in TechCrunch about uh, the antitrust issues facing right, right. Facebook and, and the fact that I, I do believe if he's as smart as I think and everyone else thinks he is, he should break up the company. But as a technical innovator, he really is preeminent. But uh, that's all I have to say on that one. Well, I mean, what's interesting to me, let, let's see if I can make this analogy through media here, because I, I covered that for a long time. And to me, the most impressive transformation that happened on that side of things was Netflix, right? You know, moving from DVDs through the Quickster debacle right, to right, streaming right. was incredible uh, and has left them far out ahead, at least for the time being, when it comes to subscribers. But it would also like reads Reed Hastings' thesis from the beginning was that eventually we will get to this point where content is going to be streamed directly into people's homes. Like DVD was the intermediary between where the present was and his vision. Uh, and maybe that was the case with Zuck too. You know, he always knew that social media was something that needed to exist, you know, as an extremely personal level and on people's phones. Is like crypto and NFTs the the, the end result of something that has been uh, you know, when it comes to social media, something that has needed to exist for some time? Great question. That is exactly why we're looking so hard into it. And I would actually separate two different parts of the Web3 world, right? So first there's NFTs. So the product itself, what are you, you know, it, it, the equivalent in gaming on a Roblox or uh, a Fortnite is the skins uh, or the, you know, in-game assets. Uh, but then the more exciting part in some ways, or the equally exciting part, is pro the progressive decentralization model and issuing a token, which enables people, uh, and it's obviously inextricably linked to the issuance of NFTs, but if you look at Axie, right, just the, the NFT of the um, Axies themselves is not as interesting as tying them to a token that's publicly traded and uh, is tied to the primary sales of the axes and then the resale fees generated by the platform that go into the community treasury and are then given to the participants in the ecosystem. That's really interesting. It's never been done before, right? And and back to Zuckerberg, because I know you like talking about him, as do I. The fundamental problem that Facebook is facing, if we ignore Section 230 and First Amendment issues, if we ignore privacy and data collection issues, the fundamental problem they're facing is one that's driven by the business model, which is we need to create an algorithm that drives engagement because engagement creates ad inventory and ad inventory creates revenue growth. And so what's really, what's really compelling uh, to our company is if you're genuinely trying to create the once in a generation social media company that will change that, right? Because Evan and Snapchat tried to build hardware, you know, had a bunch of false starts, went into the ad model. Pinterest has to be an ad model. Reddit has tried all these other things. It's going to be an ad model. So if you're going to try to, if you have uh, teen girls and college kids who drive social network adoptions, excluding the Pinterest case, which is amazing for other reasons, if you have that audience, which is really, really hard to do, and you can see from all that's leaked in the hearings that Facebook and Instagram have lost that audience. Um, so if, if you're our company and you're trying to create something that has a business model that is not ad driven because there's something wrong with that ethically and politically, then looking very hard at what a token issuance and what changing the business model fundamentally, because Jason and the Discord team are choosing subscriptions, which is one of the other models. But NFTs and a token issuance are really, really interesting from uh, hmm. an ethical standpoint. And I think that's why uh, we're so inspired and energized to spend all this time exploring it, because that could be a game changer. That's for the a clearest of I've understood why you're looking at NFTs and the most I believed it. The, the point that it's like, oh, it's an escape hatch from the ad model that is condemned which is, I mean, has such strong gravitational pull because I covered Snapchat during that period where Evan I actually embarrassingly, one of the scoops that I had early on covering the company was like, Snap doesn't want to do ads. 
because they were copying the, you know, all the Chinese companies at the time. Evan didn't. I mean, it's true. It's one of the journalists like escape hatches of true at the time. Because, yeah, you know, they were looking at, uh, you know, micropayments and people spending money on individual filters. And, and, and I mean, I guess you could call it early NFT or whatever. Sure. But- Why didn't they have they should have had Venmo. They should have had Cash App, right? The Snap Cash. Uh, I want to go back to the conference where we all got where we, this got started. And I, there's like financialization is part of what excites Web3. I mean, I was joking online. Somebody was showing a chart of like interest in Web3 versus like the creator economy. And it's way bigger for Web3. And I do think part of it is like, there's financial speculation to go with Web3. Like Web3 justifies people who just want to like bet in currencies. And on the flip side, you know, there are founders like yourself who are like, oh, I want to build a company, like some actual things in this new technology could be useful and make it possible. So you're interested in more like a product lens, but then you go to this world that's so financialized. And I mean, that's sort of the Ethereum joke. You sort of started off with that story. And even some of the founders who are hardcore, how, how, what's the speculator percentage, I guess, at this conference? Or like, if you had to say they're just like betting on currency goes up, I make a lot of money. That's what I care about. How, how, how prevalent was that? It's very large. It's very large. And I think it's fascinating to think as well. So on the individual basis there, right, all of the OpenSea whales, the 20,000 of them, the Bored Apes holders, the CryptoPunks holders, not all of them, but a, a large number of them are very much interested in this. It's part community driven, it's part financial speculation driven, right? It's very hard to, as an outsider, who's you know a believer now, but still an outsider, because I haven't you know, been with them for any real period of time. It's very hard to see what the difference is and you know, to untangle the, the links. Um, I think what's really interesting- Because we, people will be giving you some spiel and it's like, empty and you're like you just want to make money i mean like you have to say like i mean maybe you disagree but certainly some of the things people say around crypto it's like what's the there there right sure but in in any emerging uh in any emerging technology inevitably there will be a bit of a wild west feel right just think about all some of the news that's been made in the last couple weeks right the head of product to the top uh, <laughs> NFT marketplace is front running the transactions and they then have to throw out. The Squid Games token, right, uh, goes up through the roof and built into the smart contract you can't sell. And then the developers cash out $12 million. It was a fake Squid Game token. They, they cashed out $12 million. So there are definitely there are security issues. Uh, there's a basic alleged, lack. alleged everywhere. Anybody just said alleged. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> right. Right. So we'll run the disclaimer at the end of the episode. <laughs> sure. But I, I think the majority of the people I met and interacted with do seem to be good and are much more interested in the community elements, the decentralization elements. But of course, there's a little bit of danger. Uh, it's also new. I was just, yeah, somebody just had like a bunch of their crypto like stolen at gunpoint. Or, yeah, I mean, it's constant. All of that, all of that. When yeah. you say like the Wild West, I mean, so what, were you going to a lot of panels or give us a couple more scenes there? What was another like striking, striking event? I, I would say one of the interesting observations I had was there were a, a lot more investors there than there were uh, people building. So it, it was a commentary and reflection on the amount of dry powder and you know, <laughs> investor dollars chasing deals and there not being that many people with experience in the space. And also, you know, we had a dinner Monday where uh, we were trying to recruit people out of the social media behemoths uh, for our, you know, different parts of our company. And there just seemed to be this energy there. Uh, searching for a cause, right? Like this is the future. I'm, I, I'm not quite sure what it is, but what do we do. Uh, I want the money. This feels like when you know, for people who build consumer products, when we when a, when an iPhone was first put into your hands, and you realize what the Apple team had accomplished and what this would mean, it feels like a, another generational seminal moment. Um, even if you can't, you know, you, you couldn't have predicted the first time you had an iPhone in your hand all the use cases and all the magic that would happen. It does feel like Uber. We're covering Uber. You know, a lot of people went there because it was such a hot company. I mean, Coinbase, people ask me, oh, like, what's the Uber now? I mean, Coinbase is already public and so valuable, but they're doing so well. But it doesn't feel as exciting. I mean, you were sort of saying you think Coinbase is going to beat OpenSea, which would presumably mean they have a lot of room 
to grow here. I mean, I, but yeah, it, it does seem like people are in search of like the company that's clearly owning the trend to go like or the greatest work product there. there. I mean, like you go, I want to go back to your iPhone reference for a second there because one of my favorite moments in you know whatever I, I periodically rewatch the video of Steve Jobs introducing the iPhone in two thousand seven. <laughs> it's a it's a great fucking video. <laughs> People think tech reporters are cynical. You're like every morning when I wake up, I get excited. I watch uh, Steve Jobs. I, I mean, I think it's like <laughs> you can talk about the world that was created after that all you want, but in terms of just like a great product reveal. It's fucking incredible because, it, you know, bef- there was the time Magical. before the iPhone. There was a time afterwards. And you see him. Everyone knew that it was coming. We had a vague idea of what the iPhone was. He takes it out. Everyone kind of gets it. And then at some point in the movie, sorry, in the video, uh, he takes that. He, he shows the feature where you can pinch to zoom. So he's like, you just take up a photo and you take your finger like this. And, you, and the audience has this moment of like, fuck, that's so good. That makes so much sense. This is the perfect user interaction. It's a it's a motion I've never made in my life before. And yet now I knew exactly what to do with it. And that to me is why the iPhone worked, because they had like that feature in there in which people intuitively knew what to do with it. And it worked. And instantly this became the best product uh, in a field of people all trying to make this product. And so that's sort of I mean, do you see anything close to that with, with you know, at this conference that somebody has a product there in which any you know lay person once they see it demonstrate in front of them it will click in some sort of like visceral uh, uh, atomical way that they will get it and all of a sudden all this bullshit that's been going on around it will fall into place and the good ideas will fall in and the bad ideas will go away and like this world this web3 world will actually exist in a tangible aspect no <laughs> i feel it coming right that's fundamentally what we would hope to build right cuz the web3 community is is building the technological backbone, but on the UX side, all the nomenclature we talked about earlier is not there, right? So even using, for us, the word NFT or the word token is going to be a huge decision, right? Maybe that's the underlying uh, technology we're using or the architecture, but we may use other words. You know, my friends at Eternal, the you know, video game NFT company, they call their NFTs moments, Hmm. And uh, right now they're built on Flow, which is the Dapper Labs chain. And so you can buy their moments for $9. You use, there's a fiat on-ramp. And of course, you can also buy them in Flow, but they're incredibly sharp. And you know the Dapper Labs Top Shot UX is probably the best in class right now when it comes to serving up users, consu- consumers, the, your community, something that the average layman can understand. And I think um, in the wallet world, you know, what the team at Rainbow are building, which is uh, the best Ethereum wallet or just crypto wallet by, you know, leaps and bounds. That wallet, I think, is going to do amazing things for the adoption of cryptocurrency. But even then, you know, that team is coming from the crypto world. So I think it'll be really interesting when the two really collide and you can find hopefully a product um, with Web2 design, you know, qualities that can be understood and really lead to mass adoption. Did you uh, pick up any new uh, cryptocurrencies while you were there? Or how much was there sort of like get on this one, it's about to go up? Or <laughs> I heard whispers and rumbling of that, but that's not what I was there for. So, uh... <laughs> But does it come up like at these dinners? People are like, oh, like what's what's the hot small currency you're buying? Or Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I, I think what's also interesting is you, you know, back to the open sea uh, ethical lapse that you know they had to uh, depart. Basically, their, one of their key, their product guy was before they would list it. You know, buying some some of the collection of the NFTs. Before they knowing, would put it on their homepage, right. so he then knew where the volume would then go. Right, he was buying, but then these uh, crypto sleuths found it, and as a result, and and that's part of the promise of this technology is how quickly someone was able to find it because it's all public on the ledger, and so. They found it, and then he they had to fire him. Um, but you know, you you've got to believe there are uh, employees at Coinbase and a bunch of these companies who are seeing flows happen and acting on them, right? Because there's no regula- regulation about all of it. So to me, it seemed. And back to the question earlier about the amount of financial speculation, it definitely was coming up in a lot of the you know hushed whispers that I wasn't necessarily participating in that there is a lot of, and even it's interesting when you talk about the VCs themselves, right? The multi-coins, the Alameda research, the jump capitals, the Binance, 
a lot of them have both venture arms and hedge funds. And that's new to the venture capital world. Andreessen Horowitz, I'm sure, will introduce it in 2023. But uh, and you know, and the, and the changes that Sequoia just made are preparing, but they're going to think of it more as a mutual fund approach, less so than a hedge fund. But what's interesting in, to me, you know, going to this crypto world, and I grew up in New York and have friends at a lot of the hedge funds, is hedge funds entering this space. You have to understand, you know, you have to approach it with a, a sense of caution and with real due diligence because their incentives uh, in, you know, creating the ecosystem around a currency they were very early in, in which they're incredibly deep holders in, are not aligned necessarily with those of your company. And I think uh, really getting, you know, in, in terms of what chain you're building on, on whose money you're taking, thinking hard about that and who's... You know, when you give access to the information, the private information of your company, who are you giving it to and why? You have to be really, really careful about that. Hmm. These, yeah, <laughs> these firms want visibility into how things are going, so they want access uh, to companies who might see it. Right, and I, I think they're all, from my interactions, ethical, genuine, uh, thoughtful people. But still, you know, you know, this is a, an incredibly capitalist machine. Like, if you had a an ape or whatever, crypto punk. Like, was it obvious that you own, like, were people wearing them on their, like, T-shirts? Or was there a way to, like, in the real world signal to people, like, I sunk a bazillion dollars into a hot NFT at this thing? Yes, people wearing them on T-shirts. Alexis Ohanian, whom I love, is our lead seed investor. He wore his uh, crypto punk of his wife, Serena Williams, to the Met Gala. Uh, (laughs) So, absolutely, there's... A huge element of pride taken in being a part of this community is the nice side of it, for sure. Um, but it's also a status symbol. You know, you see on Twitter, people refer to their NFT collections as the equivalent of their Rolex, right? right. So it's like having a really fancy watch. Oh, I've you, seen a huge crossover between like sneakerheads and people that are into NFTs. Right, right. Do you, do you have a fancy NFT? No, no. I see nothing wrong with it, though, but I also don't have a fancy watch or a fancy car, Right. Well, that's the next move. I mean, if that's the you know if that's the culture, that's the society. The decision not to wear those things is like. Right. I do think what's weird, and I think somebody else was making maybe it was like Sam Lesnar's. I mean, our culture, especially Silicon Valley culture, moved away from like the showy wealth of Wall Street and like Rolex type behavior. And I think in like San Francisco, that was always sort of tacky. You know, you just like wear Allbirds and a hoodie or whatever. It's strange to me that. Sort of, yeah, the super consumerist, showy NFT culture has sort of become acceptable. And I wonder how long. I think it's part of it is related to the rise of Andreessen Horowitz, right? Which is as much a media empire as an investing empire and is so inspired by what Michael Ovitz did with CAA, right? Why Why did Chris Lyons win the Clubhouse deal? It was because he was able to get Kevin Hart and a bunch of celebrities, even though, you know, the clubhouse team had been benchmarked entrepreneurs and residents. Right. Brutal. Right. So they saw a, they saw a real strategic. And again, to my point earlier, social media, uh, consumer tech, social companies are cultural artifacts and therefore are inextricably linked to celebrity in this country. Right. Are you an Andreessen company? Uh, no, we're not. I, I, I'm <laughs> an admirer. I, you know, I've met them. I think what and. Uh, have met a, a number of the partners over the right. years. I think what they do is incredibly impressive uh, for a number of reasons. Yeah. And the people working there are very smart. Right. But the truth is, when you look at the rise of Instagram, right, Scooter Braun was calling Kevin, trying to get Bieber to be an investor, because Bieber drove a huge part of the adoption. Snapchat, a little less so, because it's based on intimacy. But Clubhouse, their rise, very driven by celebrities. Uh, Twitter, of course, huge moment when Ashton Kutcher was using it, and that inspired Ashton becoming a VC. And then Oprah, you know, there's great scenes in that Nick Bilton book about uh, their servers melting when Oprah uh, first, you know, talked about Twitter on her show, which was, you know, the preeminent couch at that time. So I think... Silicon Valley has long wanted to believe that it's all about product and engineering and UX, but celebrities have always driven adoption. And so uh, there's been this uncomfortable relationship with Hollywood, of course, because who, who's a, who, who's your most helpful celebrity investor? We've had a number, you know, of course, in the beginning it was David. But Can't pick among your children here. Right. Yeah. 
all that happened. But, you know, now we've brought uh, Annie Leibovitz and her team, Karen and Jason, are unbelievably helpful. Huh. Uh, we're going to hopefully do something big uh, with them soon. The Chainsmokers have been amazing. You know, I, of course, have a long relationship with Sophia Vergara and her manager, Luis. She's like my brother. They've been very, very helpful to huh. us. Um, we have a number. Cara Delevingne got involved. Kevin Durant and Rich Kleiman. Uh, I just saw Andre Iguodala and Rudy with Mastery. So, I mean, and, 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 right? <laughs> Eric, you um, thought he wasn't going to mention the names. You, you underestimate LA tech companies. <laughs> like, name dropping is the currency down there. Like, he, he'd go on for more. <laughs> well, you can't, you can't leave anybody out. They all want to help. It is amazing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool moment right now. I mean, um, cool. Well, I don't know. Any p- final thoughts from anybody? I, I, I got one last question here. You know, we're recording this episode. Both Eric and I are in New York City. A momentous day earlier this week when uh, Eric Adams was not only elected mayor, but made the announcement that he was going to be accepting his first three paychecks in Bitcoin. Can you uh, pledge or, or sign a pledge on our show that the next couple of paychecks that you get will be in some sort of cryptocurrency? I would speak to our accountants, <laughs> but uh, I am incredibly interested in that. Thank you for... <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for coming on. Covered a lot of ground, you know, got into real tech shit, you know, Web3. We, we use that phrase, which I don't, I don't think we've said before on this show. I'm not sure. Thanks a lot. This is fun. Goodbye. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.